Imitating God means walking in love. And imitating God means walking in light as children of light. And imitating God means walking wisely. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. Paul has just been talking about these kinds of things. And he gets to chapter 6 and verse 10. And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power or the strength of his might. Put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So stand therefore, verse 14, having girded your ways with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful, he says, being watchful unto this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul talks about our enemy here in Ephesians chapter 6. He's described as our adversary in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, or the ruler of this world, John 12 and verse 31, the gospel or the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 and verse 2. And his mission is one of destruction. Your adversary walks about, Peter says, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may Devour. That's just his mission. He's after your soul. He's after my soul. He's after your family. He's after my family. He's after the church where I preach. He's after this church. And be not deceived with regards to his mission. It's one of destruction. But be not deceived of his devices. You see, he operates in the area of deception. He uses defilement. He wants to defile your mind. He wants to defile my mind. He wants to pollute our thoughts because as I said, our action always follows our thought. We move in the direction of our mind. And if he can defile our thinking, if he can defile our minds, if he can get us to feed upon filth, then he knows that we will act in ways that are immoral and ungodly. He wants to defile our minds, but he has other ways to deceive us. He's styled as the father of lies. He operates in the world of deception. 
There are a multitude of passages in the New Testament that tell us about him blinding the minds of the unbelieving so that the light of the gospel will not shine. He's not interested in truth being exposed. He's not interested in you being given truth. He wants you, he wants me to operate in the realm of lies or half-truths. He wants us to be deceived. Blind to what is reality. Now, I must be honest. Regardless of our age, and even though we're Christians, we are vulnerable to blind spots. There can be areas in my life there can be something in my life that I don't see and I need someone else to help me to see it. Yes, the light of the gospel. Yes, the light of truth. Always God's mind being revealed. God's truth being presented to me so that now I can see what God wants me to see. But God doesn't only operate through His Word. He uses His people. And He doesn't just use preachers. He uses Christians. And that's one of the things that maybe we don't talk about enough in the local church is the accountability that God wants to exist among His people. The relationship that needs to exist in the body of Christ so that because of my blind spot, there's someone or there's ideally someones out there in the local church for which I'm a member who's earned the right. I have a relationship with them and they have a relationship with me and they can come to me and help me to see an area that I don't see. We all have blind spots. Satan is aware of that sometimes. And he's perfectly okay with me continuing to have a blind spot because he doesn't want me to see something about myself that God wants to be exposed that God wants me to see. He's styled as the deceiver, the tempter. He's crafty. We know all the way back in the book of Genesis how he worked on Eve. He would say things to Eve like, you will not surely die. That was absolutely contrary to what God had already said. And he operates in the area of deception. Satan tries to convince us that if we'll sow seeds of immorality, we won't reap a consequence of, that's immoral. That we can sow our wild oats, one author says, and pray for a crop failure. That's not going to happen. There is a law that God set into motion. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also weep. Satan does not like that. And so he wants to take that truth away from us and replace it with a lie. To convince me that I can live one way not face the consequences of my poor choices and actions. You can't associate with immoral people and remain pure. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit in that context, before he ever says evil companions corrupt good morals, maybe that's why he started out in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 by saying, be not deceived. Don't be deceived. And Satan is just that, the deceptor. He wants me to think sometimes that I can, I can neglect the study of the Scriptures and still grow spiritually. Never mind, Peter says that we need to desire the pure milk of the Word that by it we may grow. How can I grow spiritually if I don't have an appetite for what will help me to grow spiritually? But he's not just trying to deceive us. He wants to drain us. 
just drained me of needed energy and strength, just sapped me of the will and the want to. We all have low points in life. Being discouraged at times is a reality. Even the strongest of soldiers, Christians, are prone to fight discouragement. And Satan is aware of the power of discouragement. And again, maybe that's why we find often in the text of Scripture, do not lose heart. And God makes a promise sometimes when he gives us that passage. I'm thinking of the time that God says, do not lose heart in Scripture, for you will reap in due time. And Satan wants to drain us. He's not just trying to defile us. He's not just trying to deceive us. He's not just trying to drain us. He loves to distract us. The parable of the sower, that seed that fell, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches that, that choke the word and we become unfruitful, just get us sidetracked. Just get me so preoccupied and consumed with other things. And the other things don't necessarily have to be wrong and sinful. But if they sap me, if, if they choke out the spiritual life from me, if it causes me and my family to slowly depart and drift away from God, then Satan's pretty good at what he does. Defile, deceive, discourage, drain, distract. So, so what do we do? That was a rather long introduction, so don't get nervous. I'm thinking in threes again tonight. So what do we do? What do we need to do to deal with our real enemy? We need to open our eyes. Open our eyes. I'm thinking again of that text in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober. Verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. That, that language, be sober, is interesting language in Scripture. It has to do with the idea of thinking sensibly. We dealt with that a little bit yesterday, but thinking clearly, thinking sensibly, it's describing someone whose mind in life is under the control of the Holy Spirit, revealed Word of God. But he doesn't just say be sober. He says be vigilant. Be on alert. Be watchful. Be very aware of what he's trying to do. Be aware of his devices, the potential threats that will be brought into your life and the life of those that you love. For a thief, for a thief to gain access into your home and basically wipe you out, Basically take everything that you have. For a thief to gain access and entrance into your home, you don't have to leave every door unlocked and every window open. Just one window cracked, just a little bit. That's all he needs. Just one little point of entry to gain access into your home, and he can come in and wipe you out. That's how Satan operates. 
He just needs one area. This corner of your life that you think currently is not a big deal. It's just this one little area here. And all he needs is he needs one point of entry for me, for you to allow him access into our minds, into our life. And he comes in and he does some of his best work. Destruction, deception, defilement. The parables that Jesus taught are rich. And I know sometimes we can walk through the parables and we can end up making a parable say what it was never intended to say. We can have a parable teaching about, oh, half a dozen to a dozen different things when maybe it's just one thing or maybe one or two. The parable of wheat and tares is an interesting parable in Matthew chapter 13. And y'all have read that before. You've talked about it before. And there's some depth, no doubt, into that parable of the wheat and the tares. The wheat, the good, and the tares, the bad. And the bad sown, the tares among the good wheat. And it's interesting that Jesus makes a point in Matthew 13 and verse 25 that the enemy did this. But he says more about the enemy did this. The enemy sowed the bad among the good. But he tells us when the enemy sowed the bad among the good. While men slept. Peter says, be vigilant. Eyes wide open. Alert. Looking around. You, you know the Ephesians 5 text, if you just erase chapter division, Paul had already dealt in some measure about walking circumspectly. That's the old King James, I think, Ricky. Being careful how you walk. The days are evil. Don't be foolish. Walk circumspectly. That circumspectly is kind of looking around on all sides. It's very aware of the surroundings and what's going on. Let me illustrate the circumspect, the eyes wide open, attention going on. I had two girls and one boy. My oldest daughter, I, I told my girls, I said, look, you, you can't, and, and house rules, my rules don't have to be your rules. This was my rule. And my girls knew, you're not going to date till you're 16. 16. Somebody said, how'd you come up with 16? I'll tell you that another time. Give me 16. And I said, here's rule number two. The guy can't take you away from my house until he's eaten one meal at my table. And that doesn't mean he's going to come eat at my table for 15 minutes and take you to the movies. The first date is at my house and he sits at my table. And he eats what I fix. You're welcome. And so Ashley went through that. And the first guy came by and he sat at my table. And the next day he was going to take me to the football game. Guess what I did on that Friday night? I went to the football game. I love football. I didn't sit where they were sitting. But let me tell you what I did do. I walked circumspectly. I was looking around on all sides. I was aware of the surroundings. You don't have to explain that to a dad. Every dad here gets it. But sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes I don't get it when it has to do with our enemy. He's after me, he's after you. 
He's interested in your destruction. He's after your soul. And so we need to do what Peter says we need to do. We need to be what Peter says we need to be. Sober, vigilant, eyes wide open. But we don't need to just open our eyes. Number two, we need to strengthen our resolve. Strengthen our resolve. Go back to 1 Peter 5. I gave you verse 8. I'm going to connect verse 9 or a part of verse 9 with verse 8. So here's verse 8 again. 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him, verse 9. Steadfast in the faith. Maybe your translation says steadfast in your faith. And whether you see that to be the faith or your faith, I'll tell you what it is. Both. And he says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in your faith. Resist him is the language of 1 Peter 5 and verse 9. And I think we get what resist means. I don't know that we need a dictionary. I don't think we need some preacher to give us some kind of definition about what resist means. I mean, we're fairly aware of this as a struggle and we're to fight against it. And that's what we got when we got resist. That's Ephesians 6. Paul has said in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, it's a stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles, schemes, devices. And devil's pretty good at what he does. He has a lot of tools in his tool belt. He has a lot of plays in his playbooks. And he knows where you're vulnerable. And he knows where I'm vulnerable. Stand against, Paul said, the wiles of the devil. That means to resist. He says back in Ephesians 6, now verse 13, he says, and when the evil day comes, stand your ground. Stand your ground. But I like what James says about this idea of strengthening our resolve and this concept of resisting the devil. In James chapter 4, notice beginning in verse 6. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. James 4 and verse 6. He gives more grace. God gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, James 4 and verse 7. Now, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I fear what we're trying to do, or too many are trying to do, if we're trying to accomplish the second part of James chapter 4, that is resist the devil, without giving attention first to the first part of submitting to God. To submit to God means to place myself under the Lord, to place myself under the authority of the Lord Jesus, to place myself under the Holy Spirit revealed Word of God, to submit, to place yourself voluntarily under someone or something. And submission has to do with alignment. He says, James does, submit to God, resist the devil. Submission to God will help us to resist the devil. And submission connects itself to alignment. Let me illustrate. I, I'm mechanically challenged. I remember years ago I was driving my truck and I had taken it in for inspection and the, the guy that was doing the inspection came out and said, well, you passed, but the tread on your tires, it, it, 
is your plug. So the next time you come in for inspection, I just want you to be aware of that your tires were probably not packed. And that's all he had to say. I'm not going to risk it. When you're talking about, I'm going to go get some new tires. And pretty soon I went out and I got 40 tires. And I had new tires on my truck and it, it wasn't, it was a, several months after that. And I was driving into the parking lot of the church building and one of the members looked at, the, at my truck and saw my tires and said, Brother White, the tread, the tread on the other good tires, the tread on that tire. I said, what do you mean? I said, I hadn't had these tires a year. The tread doesn't look good. Well, guess what I did? I took those tires back to the place where I bought the tires. I drove my truck in there and I told that guy, I said, look, it's in the, it's in the computer. I bought these tires. These were expensive tires. What's going on? He said, well, Mr. White, let me look at it. He was super nice. I went and sat down. Nothing wrong with the tires. Your problem is not your tires. Your problem is your alignment. Seriously. He said, your truck's out there. I started thinking about that. I didn't have a tire problem. I had an alignment problem. See, I thought the problem was this. When the problem was really this, and sometimes spiritually speaking, Back to the blind spot, back to the deception and how Satan works. Sometimes the problem can be me and the problem can be my lack of submission to proper authority, submission to God, submission to the word of God, submission to the shepherds that God wants to use to protect the flock, to feed the flock. Sometimes spiritually in my life, I've had an alignment problem. And my alignment problem was the result of my lack of submission. And how can I resist my enemy if I'm not submitting to God and those people that God has put in my life to help me to resist the devil? Not trying to be unkind. Just trying to be direct. Sometimes we can think that changing marriages changing jobs and even changing churches is the answer maybe the real problem is I've got a spiritual alignment issue and back to James 4 let me give it to you again he gives grace to the humble and then he says submit to God resist the devil Proud people won't submit. Proud people don't listen. And because they won't listen, and because they won't submit, the devil gets them. Not just open our eyes. We have to strengthen our resolve. We have to stand against Stand your ground. But we won't. We won't guard. We won't fight to protect those things that we don't ultimately really value.
when I was getting things ready to come to Dallas or other meetings when I get ready to leave home and I'm going to be gone four or five days or a week. One time I backed out of the garage and out the driveway and as I was pulling out to leave town, I noticed that I, I didn't put my garden hose up. There, there's, there's my water hose still hooked up on the side of the house. I'm going to be gone for a week. And there's my water hose. Let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't think, I don't want somebody to steal my $25 garden hose. $25? Somebody wants my garden hose more than I want it, and they come steal it for $25? I'm going to Home Depot getting another one. But if I'm backing my truck up, and I notice that I've left my golf clubs in the driveway, guess what I'm doing? Just what you would do if you left a gun somewhere, or jewelry that you have or something. You're going to go put it up. You're going to go lock it up. We, we protect and we guard the things that we really, really value highly. I'm asking us tonight if we love our souls enough to stay away from those people in places that we know we can't handle. I'm asking us do we love our mates and our marriages enough to really fight to protect them. Now, I want to say this. I understand it takes two. I'm not trying to solve deep, delicate issues. You have good shepherds here that will counsel and help. But I've known Christians that I fear didn't fight with everything in them to protect their marriage. How do I know that? It goes back home where I'm a shepherd. I've had some hard talks with some men that aren't guarding their eyes. They're looking at things they know they shouldn't look at. There's back to the defilement. That's back into the arena where Satan operates. And, and we take the garbage in and we take the images in to our hearts and into our minds. And it does defile us. And when the day of testing comes, when the evil day comes and we're tempted for someone other than our mate, we have to strengthen our resolve and fight to protect. I know how you feel about your kids. I know how much you love your kids. But someone is going to educate and teach your children. Let that be you. Dads, let it be you that stands up in the home and controls the environment and the atmosphere in that home and teaches your children that there is a God, that He is a God who is sovereign, that the evidence is overwhelming for the existence of a divine creator. And this is a God who is good. This is a God who created everything and looked back and said it is good. And our enemy has taken everything or most everything that our good God created to be used for good intentions and has perverted it and let you be the one that teaches them the good. Someone will teach our children. And do we love our brethren enough sometimes to do the things that are not easy to do? In the language of Galatians chapter 6, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And yes, consider yourself lest you also be tempted, but re restoration, 
We're a family. That's what family does. Is it comfortable? Not always. Is it uncomfortable? A lot of times it is. Does that say something about the importance of relationships? Does that tell us something about the importance of fellowship? Does that tell us something about the fact that the incubator needs to be safe? There needs to be mutual trust and respect that operates in the spiritual family of God. And we love one another on a level. And we respect each other to a point that we can support the weak. What happened in this place yesterday was a wonderful thing to witness and hear. You're shepherds that love the sheep. And a brother who's asking for help. We got to speak to a God who is greater than our enemy. And I was convinced yesterday morning that I was in a family that cared for one another and was willing to fight for someone else's soul. And I thank God and I ask that that continue. Open our eyes, strengthen our resolve, and finally, number three, suit up in the whole armor of God. The whole armor. Finally, my brethren, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Did you notice what the text says? It says take up the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. We sing a song with the words, leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Leave no unguarded place. The Holy Spirit says take up the whole armor of God. Every piece is important. But can I remind us it does no good to put armor on a soldier who's already made up his or her mind to run from a fight. Aren't we thankful that the battle belongs to the Lord? The strength is the Lord's strength. But it is our fight. And the Holy Spirit of God says the battle belongs to the Lord and the strength is the Lord. But Paul, you have to decide to put on the armor. You have to have the faith to do what the Lord asked you to do. One day at a time. One day at a time. It's not today, Satan. Not now. I'm in the armor. And these are spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. And these are the weapons that God has given us to stand against our enemy. Is he crafty? Yes. Is he good at what he does? You better believe it. Is he greater than our God? Absolutely not. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Open your eyes.
strengthen your resolve. And one day at a time, suit up in the whole armor of God. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.